walking in a country road And I Been chasing after my shadow Welcome back to the Camino Podcast Episode 42 Nobody asked me my name I'm Dave Whitson And I wasn't even supposed to be here today At this point, I should be about a month into my five-plus-month walk across the USA, through-hiking coast-to-coast. I told y'all in episode 41 that it would be a long time before you heard from me again. And then the coronavirus happened. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I made it as far as West Virginia, where at the point that I bailed out, they still didn't have a single officially recognized case, the last state in the USA, though that has subsequently changed as we now have more cases in the USA than any other country on earth as I record this on Thursday, March 26th. I generally try to make episodes for the podcast that are evergreen, that are not time sensitive, that Someone could listen to hopefully four, five, ten years after recording and still feel like it's useful. But this one will be a little bit more of the moment. Because what I wanted to do is connect with pilgrims who, like me, have had their journeys interrupted. So this episode is focused entirely on stories of the coronavirus. Some of the information people will share will need to be considered in light of the timing. The interviews that took place for this episode occurred between March 21st and 25th. And so when people reference any information, just know that it occurred during that time and it is already well, well out of date. But the stories they share are really striking. So many pilgrims affected despite the early time in the season, by this historic development that has had profound impacts on all kinds of things. And of course, it's had an impact on our little corner of the world. Not only is this the coronavirus edition, it's also the Camino Forum edition, because all five interviews that I've conducted have arisen out of stories told on the Camino Forum. We'll start with Ivar Revke, who is the owner, operator, founder, jefe of the Camino Forum. And he doesn't talk about a pilgrimage being interrupted, but rather his management of the forum and his work with the moderators to ultimately issue a declaration, an announcement that cautioned, advised pilgrims against walking. So he talks about that process and also about life in Santiago right now as he lives there. After Ivar, you'll hear from four pilgrims who had their walks interrupted. All of them were able to walk a little bit, but they all fell well short of what they'd hoped to accomplish. So it's a stuffed episode. More interviews than normal, five total. But they go pretty quickly. And... If you thought it would be entirely depressing to hear people reflect on their Caminos lost, rest assured there are some silver linings here. There's resilience. There's even some humor. 
So stay tuned for five voices on the coronavirus Camino 2020. Ivar of the Camino Forum, the Camino Forum shop, Casa Ivar in Santiago de Compostela. Thanks for talking with me. And how, what, what's life like in Santiago today? Well, actually, right now I'm talking to you. We have a little house just outside of Santiago. So when Spain shut down, we took our things and we came out here, which might be a 20-minute drive. So it's not far away. But it's quiet. It's just nothing. You know, it's just I think the battles that are being fought right now are in the hospitals. And unless you're really ill, no one's going close to the hospital right now. So we kind of just watch TV and stay up on the news try to get work done. We have a three-year-old at home, so that's difficult. But, you know, my wife and I, we take turns, and uh, the weather's been pretty nice. So it's it's like a nice spring day. Actually, today it's 20 degrees Celsius, and it's just sunny. So I think a lot of people has it worse than I than I have it, because I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah, it's been like that since I got back to Portland. Sunny and warm, and a lot of the schools... You know, they're out right now regardless, but spring yeah. break just started the other day and people were flocking to the beach and all of the beach communities were freaking out <laughs> about the failure of social distancing. Well, yes, there's, and there's been some talk about that too in Spain as well. A lot of people from Madrid, when things closed down, went to the, some people have apartments on the coast and like, especially around Valencia. So there was suddenly a tiny little villages around in the Valencia area just got bunch of Spaniards from Madrid coming to their apartments. And of course, some of them might have brought the virus and some haven't. But still, the, the small villages got overwhelmed with, with people coming to their health care facilities. And it's difficult. And I was, I'm from Norway, so I'm reading Norwegian papers too. And the same thing happens there. Everyone goes to the cabin in the mountain, you know, and then the little community up there in the mountain suddenly has to take care of all these problems that happens. Yeah, everyone has the same brilliant idea for how they're going to uh, <laughs> manage this situation. This whole virus thing, it's so interesting to see because it started in China. And we were like, oh, you know, it was so far away. It wasn't really a thing we thought about much. And then it came to Italy. And you could see that Italy was kind of building up, building up, building up. And we could see it from Spain before it really started here. And then it got here. And like Spain is like a week behind Italy. A lot of what's going on in Italy, you could kind of see happening here. And then Norway is a little bit behind Spain. I think the U.S. is also behind Spain. I don't know how, how many days, but they're a few days behind. Mm-hmm. So you could see the same things happening in the, among the politicians, the same things they do to try and fix this and, and, and help people are just happening <laughs> like in delay, you know, in every little country you could see. They do the same things, try and do the same measures, and then it happens a week or so delayed from the various countries. It's been a very slow-moving car crash. Yes. That <laughs> it suddenly accelerates in each country, yes. right? I think that's what's been most striking is it felt like everything's fine, everything's fine. Oh, my God. It's, yes. <laughs> We're we in trouble. We can't buy any masks. <laughs> we can't buy gloves. And we can't buy, you know, they have problems with the respirators, I guess. It seems like they have problems with that. I was able to get a box of 100 plastic gloves the other day. I have not been able to get any masks because they're out everywhere. 
don't worry, our hospitals can't get them either. I know. But they say that only people that really have the virus need, need the, the mask. So I'm not too worried about it. So you're, you're outside of Santiago. Have you been back in the city at all since this started? Sure. I mean, two or three times a week because I have an online store where I have to send off the orders that come in. What's it feel like right now? What's the, what's the vibe in the city? It's empty and it smells really good because the <laughs> army went through and they washed. I think they wash every morning with disinfectant all the streets. So the streets are almost wet and it smells like shampoo. It smells, it smells so clean. But it's weird. And, and the only people on the streets are people, because how in Spain right now you could walk, you can only walk outside if you go to the supermarket, go to the pharmacy, go to the bakery, or go to work for those that can work. So the only people outside in the streets are people walking with shopping bags under their arm, and they're just walking straight down to the supermarket and straight home. When you meet someone on the street, they always kind of swirl around. People, you know, <laughs> people kind of look down, and if you see someone, they just take another path so you don't get close to someone. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think people are good. People are doing what they're supposed to do and just stay home. And it's it's really working in Spain. I'm I'm really amazed. That's good because from the outside, at least from sitting here in the U.S. and consuming media here, Italy sounds like a complete disaster. Spain sounds like it's right on Italy's heels, careening towards a really difficult time. And then <laughs> the U.S. is is waiting to outshine them all through yeah. our um, gross incompetence. But from your perspective, it seems like Spain is managing this as well as could be hoped for. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I, don't, I think I don't know what else we could have done. We could, have, of course, could have closed down before, but then people would have screamed and said, you know, why are you closing us down? <laughs> so it's always difficult. You know, I totally understand. I think we're doing what we need to do. So I want to talk about a couple of things related to the Camino Forum. Mm -hmm. How long have you been operating the Camino Forum now? Since 2004. 2004, man. Yeah, yeah. That's 16, a long time. Wow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so you are responsible for this forum that is designed to share information about the Camino, support new pilgrims, and disseminate information, get people excited and ready to go walking. And then a little while ago, you and the other moderators took the unusual step of issuing an announcement in which you told people not to walk, to stay home. Yeah. How did that come about? With me, we're 10 moderators. So we just got two new ones on board. We have a special section on the forum where that only the moderators can communicate. And uh, kind of leading up to it, we were talking, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And, and then things change so fast, as you mentioned before. It's, it's like, there's no problem. There's no problem. Oh my God, there's a problem. And it, it's one of those things where you like, what do we tell? Because we were getting questions. Of course, we were getting questions. Should I come? Should I, you know, I have my ticket and living in a week. Should I cancel? There was up to a point where we were like, that's up to you. Because you know, the virus is in Spain. Nothing's been shut down yet. So, you know, you can walk if you want to. For a while there, I was thinking, if you can get to Spain, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. The worst part of it will be the travel, the actual going through the airport and being on the airplanes and all that. So I wasn't really saying don't come. I would say, I would answer people to say just whatever you feel comfortable with. I would say once you get to Spain, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. 
And then things started to come really worse. And then there was one morning I woke up and I think Laurie Peregrina 2000, who's one of the moderators, this post. First, she wrote it in the moderator section. And I think she was going to, she said, I'm going to write this post. What do you think? And we were like, yes, go for it. So she wrote it. And I, I read it when I woke up and I thought, well, that's a very nicely written way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I have this email list that I have that I sometimes uh, send out things from the forum. Sometimes I send out some offers from my store and things. And there's about 7,000 people on there. So I said, well, I'm going to send this out because I think people need to know this. And I can't wait for them to to come on the forum and read it themselves. So I, I sent the email out, just copying and pasting Laurie's post, really, with a link to it so that, that people could read the following comments. And... Uh, that was how that happened, really, because that was when it really came to a point where I could see, I don't think we had the lockdown yet, but we were like it was right, you could see that it would come. It wouldn't be nice for people to fly into Spain and then get stuck here, because a lot of people, that happened to some people. So just before that lockdown happened, I think that was when we sent it out. I think it was sent out on the 13th which seems like a month ago, but it's like 11, 11 days ago. <laughs> yeah, every every day of this has felt just bizarre. And yeah, you're right. It feels like a, an incredible amount of time has passed since we really started to take this seriously. Yeah, yeah. How was the response? Did you get much pushback or were pilgrims on board with it? no. I think a lot of people then by that time had already decided they wouldn't come. Mm-hmm. But it was just, I think it was for some people nice to hear it from someone that was here kind of confirming what they were already thinking. So we're now at this interesting moment where for most of us, we are practicing social distancing, sheltering in place, whatever the lingo is. So we're all sitting alone at home or with our families. And for all of the negativity that has been justly heaped upon it, social media and internet forums are the main device we have now to stay connected with each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about the Camino Forum as we live through these weeks, maybe even months, where going on pilgrimage is not an option. So people aren't necessarily asking as much practical advice. How do they get from the airport to Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port? But maybe the forum can serve a different purpose. What do you hope that the Camino Forum can bring to pilgrims as we move through these uncertain weeks and months? I think it's just a place for pilgrims that have probably walked it already get to stay in touch with the other pilgrims. You know, the, the people that think the same way they do. That love the walking, love Spain. Mm-hmm. Probably, if it's not this year, maybe next year they'll come back and walk again. And they're maybe not planning anything concrete, but they just want to be a part of of the community. I think just to be a part of meet people that talk about the Camino as, the, as they love it. Because I hear from many people say that my friends don't understand me. That's why I have to go on the forum. And, and because I talk about the community with my friends, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and so they go on the forum to kind of get a little bit of that, that Camino addiction. I could see there's a, the traffic on the forum is, is way down from a normal March months. And I think because it's it's only the old people, that people that have walked it already, that are not really planning anything concrete, that are on there right now. The, the new ones coming in 
that have all these practical questions, as you mentioned, probably won't come in to the forum until everything's clear again. I know that for those of us who have walked multiple times, who are fortunate to have a lot of experience, the fear right now is what will be there when we come back? Are a number of albergues going to ultimately go out of business because they are losing a few pivotal months of traffic. Are you picking up anything about that? Are you hearing any rumblings, any discussion about what might happen to some of the infrastructure along the way? No, I don't really know. Of course, they are struggling because it's, it depends how long this goes on, too. Yeah. If we could, in a week's time, start to have a negative growth in, in how many people get infected, then maybe in a couple of months or three months, we're, we're, we're done. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then we have the fall. And if we could have people come walk in the fall, and maybe smaller businesses could actually make it. But if we get to have to cancel the whole season, then that's more difficult. Yeah. It also depends a little bit on how these places are set up, I guess. If they have to pay their mortgages and if the mortgage is high, then they can have trouble. But it, if there's no mortgage or if, I read in the paper a lot of places that rent, the landlords have told them just forget about rents for a couple of months you know just don't don't pay me rent mm-hmm. and of course if that happens then make, that makes it easier yeah. but i'm not sure how all these places how they are set up it's wild to think about the numbers always spike in a whole year hmm. but we're now potentially looking at very few people walking in 2020 hmm. pushing back their pilgrimage to 2021 at the same time that so many other people will be aiming to go because it's the first holy year in a long time. So 2021 could be absolutely overwhelming. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, yes, it could. (laughs) Especially if you go in May or September. If you go in May and September next year, it's going to be very, very busy. Yeah. But some people want crowds too. You know, I talk to people in Santiago that that they do the Camino because it's a social experience. They just want to meet people and from all over the world and talk to interesting people. They want to meet people. Yeah. May we all have the the luxury of the Camino being overcrowded next year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would certainly help those little businesses that are struggling this year if they could get some business next year. If they can stay alive until next year, they should be fine, I think. Yeah. There will certainly be a big bounce back. Well, thank you, Ivar. Thanks for speaking with me and thanks for all of the work you do to make pilgrimage easier, better, more accessible to so many people. No problem. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone. Annie Santiago, as you are known in the Camino Forum. What was your plan when you set out for this Camino de Santiago? So usually I take groups, and I'll back up and tell you why. I was diagnosed many years ago with multiple chemical sensitivities, and the diagnosis took a couple of years to come to, and finally I found a specialist. And when I found a specialist and he diagnosed me, he said, you've got two options, chemical chelation or long-distance walking. I had no idea where I could walk, but I did some research on chemical chelation and discovered a lot of people were ending up with liver and kidney damage, and I didn't want to do that. And Joe, who at that time, Joe and I were partners for about 17 years, and then we split up, and now we're just really good friends. But at the time, 
he was brought up in the Catholic Church, and he said, well, what about the Camino Santiago? I'd been to Spain and thought it was beautiful, but I'd never walked there. And I said, well, what's that? So he told me about it. I started researching, and I found the forum. And I said, well, let's go. So we went on our first Camino. So that's how it got started. When I came back, I felt really good. Felt like I needed to do that every year. Couldn't afford to go every year and started taking groups. But this last year, I had decided I just like to walk alone without a group, without the responsibility of a group. I just want to go and walk. And I got online and I found airline tickets round trip to Madrid for like $450, which was crazy. (laughs) And I told Joe, look, we can't afford not to go. Let's just go walk by ourselves. So we bought the tickets and we planned to go. That was probably in September, August, September. Well, then in December, I found this lump. In January, I was diagnosed. (sighs) February, I went to the doctor and the doctor, she wanted to do surgery. And I said, well, I've got this trip planned to Spain it's a walking trip. I'm going to walk for about six weeks. And she says, oh, well, go ahead. I think that would be really good for you. We can plan your surgery for after. So that was the plan. We were going to leave March 4th and return April 15th. And then my surgery was scheduled for April 23rd. Years ago, we had tried walking the Via de la Plata and had only gotten as far as Caceres. And then I went back a few years later and I got as far as Zafra. And so Joe and I decided we'd begin in Zafra and then just walk all the way up to Astorga. And then we were going to go to Segovia to spend Holy Week and then come home. So that was our plan. <laughs> and it was a good plan. <laughs> it was a great plan. We were so excited. So excited. And to be able to walk alone without having to worry about seven or eight other people, it just was like, oh my gosh, we were looking forward to it. Yeah. When you were getting closer to departure from the U.S., were you paying much attention to the coronavirus? Did you have any concerns about the possible impact that might have on your pilgrimage? Well, at that time, there really weren't very many cases. The cases in the U.S. were up in Washington, and they were elderly people. And on the forum, we didn't really see much going on in Spain. There were a few cases right out of Madrid, but not a lot. But there was a lot of chatter on the forum about it. Joe and I talked a lot about it, and I just decided that if he didn't want to go, that was fine. But I was going to go because I needed to just walk and consider my situation and think about, do I want to have the surgery or not? And what does this all mean? And doing some prayer and then I posted a lot on the forum about it because I'm, I'm not a very quiet person. If it's, <laughs> in my, if it's in my head, it comes out my mouth. And I got a lot of support from people saying they thought I should go ahead and walk. People who had had breast cancer, who had had mastectomies, women who had had it, and also men who had had it. And so I got a lot of encouragement. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go. Because at that point, it didn't seem like it was a big deal. What was it like when you got to Spain? How were the first day, couple days of walking? We flew into Madrid, and then we took a a bus down to Zafra. Nobody was wearing masks. It was business as usual. People didn't seem to be concerned. And when we got down to Zafra, the albergue was so full that she was having to ferry people to another (laughs) albergue. So there were plenty of people on the Camino, and it just seemed like, what's everybody all upset about? What's the big deal? So we stayed in Zoffer for a couple of days and touristed around because Joe hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Then we walked to Via Franca 
De Los Barros. Then we walked to Merida and spent a few days there. And again, we didn't see anything that would alarm us. And that by that time, it was the 10th. We walked to Al Yusin on the 11th. And that was the first indication that we had that things weren't maybe going to go so well. And we had planned on walking to Alquescar the next day and staying at the Albergue there. It's like a convent. And we got notified that that place was closed, not because they had any cases, but because they were caring for people who were maybe immunocompromised and they didn't want anybody bringing it in. Mm. So we didn't have any place to stay there. And so we had to scramble to get a taxi to Alquescar and then walked from there. So that was the first indication, but you kept walking. We only walked one more day. We walked Aldea de Cano. All was well. Everything was fine. Everybody was in business. The bar was full. There was nothing to indicate anything was wrong. Some other pilgrims came and were in the little albergue with us that night. I think there were four other pilgrims plus us. And it's a small place with very few beds. Everybody was out partying. Nobody (laughs) thought anything was wrong. And then the next morning... I got up and went over to the bar to check my email, and that's when I saw the post that Ivor and the moderators had made telling people, you really should not go on Camino right now. Things are exploding in Spain, and you need to not go. So then we got on the line and started looking, and I just had a gut feeling. I told Joe, you know, I think we need to go home. Hmm. I think it's time to go home. I don't want to get stuck here. Yeah. So it was funny The lady at the bar had been very friendly the night before, but this morning she totally ignored us. Mm. I mean, I went up and down the bar trying to get a coffee, and she just acted like she didn't see me. And then when we decided we needed to get a taxi, she ignored me. And another woman at the bar kept asking her if she would call a taxi, and she wouldn't. And then finally she had a number written on a piece of paper that she kind of shoved at me. And then she was afraid, you know, she was afraid of us. And I thought, oh, wow, this is really serious. So anyway, we were able to get a taxi to Caceres and then a bus to Madrid and then a taxi to the airport. And in the meantime, I had my son working on airline tickets because I couldn't find anything for less than two or $3,000 one way. It's amazing how quick that was. You yes. walked to the bar for breakfast and the next thing you knew, you were on a bus headed towards Madrid and the airport. Yeah, it was crazy. And during that time, I think we went 48 hours with no sleep. My son was able to finally find tickets for us. Luckily, that went to Miami and then from Miami to Los Angeles International Airport. And we had to wait at the airport overnight in Madrid to catch our plane. And we had to stay awake. So that was fun. The airport was like a ghost town. There was nobody there. Everything was closed. Even the check-in counters were closed. When we got to Miami, we had to stay on the plane. They were taking us off 20 at a time. But then when we finally got home, the next morning watching the news, we were shocked at the number of people they had crowded into rooms together. And we thought, wow, we were really lucky. Yeah, the footage of O'Hare and some of the other U.S. airports were staggering. It was horrible. How are you dealing with this? One of the things that has stood out as I've talked to people about the ends of their trips is how suddenly it has come. There's no time to really process the news and 
grapple with the conclusion of a trip that you had looked forward to for months. Right. You are just rushing frantically to make it home. Right. And so now in the days since you've been home, how are you dealing with the loss of this Camino? You're right. It was such a rush. And the first day or two, we were just exhausted from lack of sleep. And we'd wake up at all weird hours and laugh at, at, my God, we should be in Caceres right now. And (laughs) it was like being in the twilight zone. This had all happened. One week ago, we had left for Spain and we thought we were going to be gone for six weeks. And now we're back at Joe's place in the desert going, did we go? (laughs) (laughs) And then... Well, one of the things that happened was on the flight from Miami to the West Coast, the flight was supposed to be empty pretty much. But at the last minute, they filled it with people off of a cruise ship. Oh, my God. And that really concerned us. We thought, oh, my gosh, who knows what we were exposed to. The little man behind me was coughing the whole way. So all I could think was, oh, my gosh, there's no telling what we've been exposed to. We need to self-quarantine. They had asked us to agree. They didn't order us. They asked us to consider self-quarantining for 14 days. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about it and said, of course we will, because there's no telling what we were exposed to off that cruise ship. So there was not a lot of fear, but just concern. Sadness for the people in Spain who, at that time, we, of course, it still hadn't exploded and still wondered is this really as serious as everyone's saying it is? Mm-hmm. A lot of confusion about that. And there were people that I had hoped to see along the route, friends that I've made over the years. We've been going since 2006. And I was worried about them and how they would be. And just a, a lot of different feelings about it. Feelings about, do I think I'll ever do this again? Mm. <laughs> Am I getting too old? Mm. Uh, you know, I don't know. Just a lot of different feelings. But really, mostly for the worry and love to the people of Spain, who we just love them so much, and now we're so worried about what's going on there. But the Camino, I'm sad. And and then I'm kind of laughing at the same time, because that was my third attempt at the Via de la Plata. <laughs> I didn't get much farther than I did the first couple of times. Yeah, maybe go for a different route next time. Exactly. <laughs> maybe it's just not in the stars for me to do that route. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry, Annie. In the grand scheme of things, losing out on a pilgrimage is less consequential than losing out on a life, as um, you know, exactly. a lot of people are. But clearly, this was an important trip for you at a, a, a difficult time in your life, and I'm I'm sorry that you lost it. Thank you. I think it's okay. I've got time now to spend doing nothing since I can't go out and. Uh, <laughs> I can do all my meditating and thinking here at home and out in my son's big backyard. Maybe I'll plant him a garden. Rob from Bay Area in Alaska, when you set out for Spain on this trip, what was your plan for your Camino? Uh, we initially planned on starting in San Juan Pedro Port and doing the Camino to Santiago mm-hmm. and then go from to Muxia and then Finisterre. But as it started in our, we had planned this trip in early October mm-hmm. um, and there was no news of the virus at that time. And then it started getting obviously progressively worse. There was a lot of discussion. We started, we left March 4th. Wow. 
yeah. So, and there was a ton of discussion whether I still remember saying that if we go, guys, this is going to be a really stupid decision. <laughs> but the next day, it was Anthony Fauci that said that if you have your plans, your travel, go ahead and be travel and be diligent and very cautious. And that was okay. They're saying we could travel. Still extremely anxious and apprehensive as we went. And uh, we went, but fortunately, we also bought our travel insurance in October, well before <laughs> it was a no event. So we had that minor safety net. But as this was going, we, we did is just in case everything did close. I mean, we're, we're outdoors people, all of us. We were backpackers. So it was nothing for us just to add a couple ultralight tents into our backpacks. If we had to, if the push came to shove, that we could actually pitch a tent if we had to. And then we alternated our plans. Since we already had our accommodation paid for from Changer to Port and, and Bayonne, our plan was just to go there, walk to Pamplona, take the train from Pamplona to Lyon, and then start from Lyon. Because mm-hmm. if it's going to get cut off, and I've done this before, I did it in 2018, I was like, guys, you know, trust me. I mean, it's beautiful. the whole place is beautiful, but I think if we're going to get cut short, let's jump to Lyon and start from there. So when we got there, <laughs> we also got there is the day that Roncevalas got 20 inches of snow and they closed down <laughs> the transportation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like right there, should have took that as a sign. Right there, that should have been a sign. So they, I, we woke up the morning of the 6th because we, we left on the 4th. We got to Paris on the 5th. We're going to start walking on the 6th. And we're going to take the 6 o'clock train out of Saint-Jean-Pay-de-Port. 5.30, I get the email saying the train's canceled. For no reason, I have no idea why. And, but... We knew why. <laughs> We've been watching the weather reports. And then finally got the, uh, looked at the weather report and been updated. And they were expecting 20 inches of snow that day, plus another 12 inches of snow overnight. <laughs> we have a lot of snow experience hiking and walking in the snow that we knew that it would be ridiculous to, I mean, we'd make it to Roncevalles, maybe, <laughs> if we were to take a taxi <laughs> up there. But we knew the best case, we're going to start walking in three feet of snow the next day. Yep. And then it was also it was warming up to 45, which knew by the middle of the day, that was going to just be horrendous conditions. So what we did is instead, we took a train to Pamplona that day. We were on the train the next to Sagoon. I told her, hey, we all want to start walking. We could actually go to the official halfway point. And I, you know, obviously, they're using new maps with that halfway point. <laughs> and so we, we took a train up to Sagoon and started out of Sagoon and made it to Astorga before, every, before we got kicked off the trail and had to go home. Oh, man. All that for Saagoon to Astorga. How was that walk, at least, over the course of those days that you were going? It was amazing. When people ask, like they ask, would you do it again? I go, oh, hell no. That would be asinine. That would be a really (laughs) bad decision. But do I regret it? No, it was absolutely amazing. We had an amazing time. I want to say we're proud of still going and what we did. But a couple of friends, she had a decent point saying that you guys are, in a way, modern-day pioneers, you know, unwittingly. But she goes, I don't know anybody else who's who's traveling the world during a pandemic and literally (laughs) walking across the country and staying in hostels while they're doing it. (laughs) Which, yeah. I go, yeah, probably, yeah, you have no, probably you're just your dumb friend that you know that did that. It's funny what you say about pioneers. There's a thin line between being a pioneer and a cautionary tale, right? Definitely, it's it's a lot of one and a little of the other. Yeah, I won't tell you which. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I won't admit to which one, but it really is. It's a cautionary tale. None of us should have been on the on the trail. None of us. And on the trail, there was no evidence of the virus per se. Okay, but we were all sick. We were all sick. You were all sick. We were all sick. There was somebody sick around us at all times, and you knew it. 
but there was that big, huge denial. And especially for us, because we were by far the most proactive and cautious. I'm a planner. So really, once when this all started, I actually went out and bought plenty of Purell and plenty of disinfectant wipes for the trip a month before we left. So there was no problem. We had plenty of, uh, and we were wiping where we sat and everywhere we sat, we wiped first and we wiped when we left. Wow. We actually had that much stuff. We each had <laughs> our own roll of a full thing of Clorox disinfecting wipes and each had three travel sizes of Purell. But it obviously is false protection. It didn't help. <laughs> it didn't help. People still got sick. And we got sick. And when you say got sick, you don't mean the cold or the flu. No. Okay. So I know what I had, and I talked to two doctors, and we know, and they know. How do I say this so it doesn't sound like bullshit? Because it can. We've been getting kind of treated unfairly or like lepers. When we got into SFO, we were the second plane that came into SFO. And it was like everything you saw. It was the chaos, 19-year-old EMTs. I'm still, I'm a wilderness first responder, and I used to be a wilderness EMT. So we have some, I mean, med- I mean, not a lot of medical training, but more than most. And knew what exactly what was going on. And these poor kids were so scared of coming in there. And then it's like, of course, you know, they, they sit me down. <laughs> so where were you? It's like France, Spain, the UK. I'm sorry, we're, we're in Spain. What were you doing? And then it's like, yeah, I was doing the Camino de Santiago, praying that he knew what that was. He did not know what it was. And then he has like, well, I'm sorry, how many, wait, what city were you in? Many. And basically he's like, how long are we were in there? Almost 10 days. Basically, I was walking across Spain, staying in hostels along the way. He, like, he stopped writing, looked up to me. Can you stay here, please? <laughs> and when he got the CDC doctor. Yeah, she, I immediately got turned over to the CDC doctor because at the time, they're asking, how do you feel? And I was like, yeah, I'm getting a, I'm getting a cough, scratchy throat, headache. I think I'm coming down with a, I'm just like cold. And I was talking, then he went and got the CDC doctor and talking to her. She took me into, they treated me at that, that moment like I had it. And I was one of the first cases. She's this, this little CDC doctor yelling at people to get away from me. Told everybody to change their gear right then. And I, because the kid, he went to talk to her and he blew it out of proportion. Say, oh my goodness, this guy was in Spain and staying in hostels. And she knew what the Camino de Santiago is. So that helped. But still, they had the precautions. They took me into another room, put me in masks and gloves, and then started talking and asking us, like, look, hey, look, hey, I don't, you know, know all the symptoms or whatever with this stuff, but coming down with this here, I don't have any shortness of breath at rest, none of that, no tightening of the chest. And she's like, okay, I'm going to let you go. We have no testing here. I don't know where you could get tested yet. And there, so there was like no official testing for me. But since then, also, because it's a small town, somebody, they heard I was here and they've called the health department. And we're like, awesome, because maybe I could finally get a test. <laughs> so, I mean, because they found out, like, I might as well have been a leper. So despite all of that, despite that whole ordeal, you have no regrets about this walk? No. In those days that we were walking... It was the most amazing, especially our last day walking into Astorga. It was beautiful. It was glorious. We took the alternate route, you know, because last time I went, I walked next to the freeway, not knowing mm-hmm. better. And then we took this alternate route, and it was just so beautiful and amazing. And we just had the best day. We got into Astorga, and my friends were just so blown away by Astorga and the beauty of it. Leon, everywhere we went, we just had the best, best time.
Oz Annie, as you're known on the Camino Forum from near Sydney, Australia. Could you tell me what your original plan was when you were getting ready for pilgrimage this year? I, I hadn't decided originally when I would go back, but I wanted to go back and finish my Via de la Plata, but I only had to walk from Tabra, and so I was going to be searching for something else to fill in that time and do something else. And then a lady that I had walked with on the Camino Madrid in 2018, um, a Facebook friend that lives in the UK, had put out a thing saying, oh, I, my children have bought me a ticket to Rome. Does anybody want to walk a bit of the Via Francigena with me from Siena to Rome? And I thought, oh, well, I've, I've sort of wanted to have a try of that and that will, I'll do that and then I'll jump across to Spain. So I sorted that out and so that was all in play. And then, as you know, as it all unfolded <laughs> and she was getting her, – her daughter's a doctor and was saying, oh, I don't want you to go. And earlier on, it, nobody could see the, the unravelling, could they? And everybody was saying, oh, it's up north, you know, you're down in, down in Siena, you'll be fine. And I thought, well, yeah, it'll be fine. And I, and I was happy to go there and she was getting more nervous and, and I thought, oh, no, it'll be fine. And then I think about – Three days before, yeah, Thursday, Friday, yeah, three or four days before, I said to her, look, what do you really want to do? And she said, oh, can you give me another 24 hours? I said, no, I, I, I've got to go to the travel agent and fix up my flights. So that, that's when I pulled the plug and paid the extra, I think about another 500 and something dollars to change from Rome across, take out that leg. That's always weird, isn't it? You're, you're taking something off and yet you're paying more. But anyway, <laughs> so, so that was direct then Madrid back. What was it that finally pushed you over the edge when it came to Italy? What was it that made you think this is a really bad idea right now? Well, it was that things had changed. That was like 28th, 27th of February. They were getting more numbers. There were bits on the news about preparation for sickness in Rome and I was thinking, well, if we're walking from the 2nd to the 19th and things have unfolded, I mightn't be able to be accepted into Spain even if I leave Rome. You know, like even if I walk to Rome, if that, if that happens, I mean, I wouldn't have now, but at the time I thought, well, even if I got to Rome, maybe they'll close people flying from Italy over to Spain. And I really wanted to do the Spain bit. That was my original Thing. So I thought, well, I'll fix up things to do in Spain. No problem with that. So that's why I pulled out of Italy. You know, at the time I thought, I mean, even people on the forum, I mean, it was all half and half. Some people were thinking, no, don't go. But people can't remember now back to earlier on. And back then it was, oh, it's fine. And it was fine where I was walking right up until the day that I got the bus back. There was no freaking out at all out where I was because I wasn't talking to anyone. It was hard to imagine, right? None of us has lived through a situation like this where everything had to shut down. Yeah. So, yeah, it's easy in hindsight to go back. And I'm sure at some point you've had this thought like, why did I still think Spain would be a good idea when Italy wasn't? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even coming back to Australia, they were lagging. I still lagging a bit, but they were lagging behind what I knew in Spain because my sister who'd been um, freaking out about me going to Spain, when I came back, she said, why did you come back so early? None of them really were aware. I was getting some help about staging 
from Laurie on the forum, but this was just to do staging. It was nothing to do with where things were at. And even at that stage, no one sort of could predict that things were bad. I mean, people thought, oh, you're the lucky one. You're just going to get your Camino in, you know, like I thought, yeah, this is great. So where did you end up walking when you made it to Spain? So I didn't have any plan, but I still wanted to stick to the the normal start for the Via de la Plata from Tabra on about the 19th or the 20th of March because that worked in with my accommodation. Therefore, I thought I'll fly to Madrid and then I'll decide what I'm going to do. I saw that Valencia was the higher numbered place at that stage. I thought, oh, I don't really want to go there. And I wanted to stay close to Tabra if I had to make a move or something. So I got to the airport at Madrid and I wasn't sure what I'd do. So I got out my little sheet of paper and my my thing on Caminos and I was trying to work out what I'd do. I think I went on the forum too and spoke to a, a few people about what I'd do and a few people gave me some ideas. And I'd been to Toledo before and I knew it was only a half hour trip and I thought, no, I'll go there and that's part of the Levante, so I'll jump on that there. So that's how my Levante started. How many days of walking did you actually manage to get in? I got there on the 2nd, yeah. So I stayed the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, started on the 5th, and I was on the plane coming home on the 14th. So only about nine, was it, or something? Yes. So you didn't have a ton of time on the Levante, but there aren't many people who walk it. Were there one or two big highlights for you, things that you thought were particularly impressive, neat, beautiful along the way? It was all beautiful. I mean, because it it wasn't flat and boring, but the day one for me out of Toledo was you go past a quarry and there's a bit of gravelly-looking area, but it's still pretty. But then later on when you get into the, the hills, it's beautiful and the rocks. Even then, that was three days after I'd started walking, there was no panic about, oh, you know, there was no discussion, nobody was bringing it up as a, as a cause for concern? Oh, no, no, nothing. Nothing happening in Toledo, and I believe there were no um, sicknesses or no cases happening. But also because I wasn't walking with other people. I was alone. I've walked alone before. When I did the in Vienna, I didn't see a soul the whole time. When I was walking this one, the thing of being on my own, it didn't worry me. What was the point for you as you were walking at which you realized you needed to stop? Last minute, because each day, as I said, I was alone and then I got to Avila. When I got to Avila, I've been there before too, like years and years ago, but I'd only been out there by a bus trip, so I thought I'd stay there two nights. But when I got there, there was no thing about the virus either. The guy on the front desk was so nice and even when the, the morning I was leaving because he'd done, I think he'd done a little bit of walking, just most of them I've done, you know, a section or something. And he had the map there and he was saying, oh, yes, you know, the worst bit's going to be this bit. This, this is the day, the 12th, and I'm leaving and there's no big drama about thing. And even coming into Arva, nobody reacted at all. You might see people on the news, but they felt, I suppose, like, people did in Australia that they were exempt because they were out in the country, you know, because that's how you felt. It can't come here because we're out in the country. And that's how I felt too, not being with a soul, 
I had my own room and like the first two nights I was in Albergis, solo, nothing. And even when I got to the one at uh, Gotarandura, the other guy slept in a tent because he had a dog with him. So I didn't actually have to have anybody's breath in the same room or whatever. But anyway, so that day I walked, didn't see anybody and I got there and I was having these little conversations privately with Laurie from the forum about staging. She's a real angel, I tell you. As I do, I'm a bit of a nervy person. I was thinking getting up early in the morning and getting going for a rivolo. I was checking the forum and I saw Laurie's message or the moderator's message come through saying, we've had a chat, Ivar and the mods, and we think the wise thing to do is to advise people not to come to Spain to walk. And I thought, wow, you know, because, uh. So this chap that was staying there, he'd been out, he'd found the local step-toe, you could call him, a local step-toe guy, and he'd had a few drinks and cigarettes. And he'd actually knocked on the door at about 11 o'clock at night on my door and I said, um, it's all right because I'm always awake. I don't find it easy to get up in the morning, but I'm always awake. And I said, it's all right, just come in. And he said, oh, I've got pains in the legs, you know. He's only 39, but he was having exactly what I get. So I gave him some painkillers and uh, that was fine. And then he went out to bed in his tent and he said to me before he left, because I said I'd be going early, he says, oh, now wake me up when you get up because I'll come with you. He came, he, when he knew I was up then, he came in because I think it was the first night he tried his tent out that he carried and it was all damp, everything was damp. So he brought these things in and he was going to have sleep for a couple of hours and stay and, and maybe catch up later. And I said, oh, are you aware of what's happened overnight with the thing? So I told him and, and then he sort of started waking up and he said, oh, oh, I think I'll come with you now. You know, I'll come early now too. And then he was he was using the four-letter word a bit then, not, not at me but at life. Why is this happening now, you know? Oh, and he'd been going on about how it originally intended to head up to a stalker he had because he didn't have any money and he was getting assistance along the way and he was going on about how great everybody was and people all along the way had people helping him. He had decided he'd get up to the Camino Frances and then he'd have lots of people to help him. So we thought we'll start walking to a revelo. And even then I sort of thought, yeah, well, what do I do? He wants to head up to a stalker and I've got maybe, I don't know how long, five days, a week, I don't know, I can't remember how long it was after Rivolo to get to Zamora. And I thought, oh, I could head back to what's name. Even then, I, that morning, I hadn't really made up my mind, even though I'd seen that message. And then he's going on about how he didn't have anyone and what he's going to do and how where would he go? He'd have to get some someone have to help him to get back. And I knew in my mind I was going to help him, but I wasn't telling him straight away. So we've got got a bit delayed leaving. That was another reason I made up my mind sooner. I had everything picked up, and you know what it's like when you're in a room on your own. You look around and everything. You see everything. You don't leave anything in the room. Well, because he came in. And I was seen to be picking up after this guy, you know, like <laughs> it was like having my son because he's about the same age as my son. And he'd brought these blankets in. He'd taken the blankets out to the tent and he'd also taken a mattress out, which I encouraged him to take because it was on rocks, you know. But when he brought the blankets in, he dumped them in a pile and I picked them up and I'm thinking they're all wet, right? So, so I, I couldn't fold them, so I draped them across the bunks 
And, of course, when I did that, I'd taken off my glasses and I'd draped these blankets up and then he disappeared because he was going to give this friend that he'd made in um, the little village his tent because he thought he didn't want to carry it anymore. And so he disappeared up the road and I waited there and when he came back, I said, so we're ready? He said, yes, I've, I've thrown the key in the letterbox that you have to do. And I said, well, I looked around, everything right, so we closed the door and we're gone. And then about two steps further, I touched my face and I said, my glasses, you know, um, <laughs> because they're transition lenses, they're sun glasses, they're reading glasses, distance glasses. And I thought, oh, you know, and I had the phone and I think by this time it was nearly 8 o'clock. And he said, oh, you can ring Yolly, I think that's her name, the lady that's the thing. So I dialed her number and he's, he's fluent in Spanish. So he, he spoke to her. We woke her up, I think, woke her up. And he, she said, well, I'm sort of asleep now. Just keep walking on the Camino and I'll bring them to you. I'm thinking, oh, will she, will she, will she? <laughs> These glasses cost a fortune in Australia. But I just had to go and that meant that we kept walking because as we were walking, just passing the corner, I saw a bus and I said to Jakob, I said, there's a bus, you know, I was thinking we could get the bus back from there. But, you know, she wasn't aware of what was happening in our minds and so we kept walking towards Arevalo. And so we walked and I think got to the next little place which didn't have anything. He went off looking for cigarettes or something. There was a petrol a service station. So we rang Yoli again from there because I thought, well, if we're in the service station using the bathroom, she might drive past. And then she said, oh, no, just don't wait there. Just keep walking. <laughs> so we kept walking and, and then we went off track. It goes on to a, a dirt road. And, and after a while I said to him, gosh, I hope she brings the glasses because if she doesn't, I'll have to get a taxi back. You know, I just need the glasses. And lo and behold, turned around and there she is driving up behind us with the glasses. So I got the glasses back and Jakob said to her about the what we'd heard on the news and I think she might have just vaguely heard about it, but she hadn't mentioned anything to us. I don't know if she had, but so nobody had said, oh, times are changing, you can't stay here or this is the end. But that was the Friday, Friday the 13th, which is an <laughs> ominous day. It's ominous day that we, yeah, so I think somebody said get to, I forget what the name of the town was. Oh, yeah. there's a little town, that, the one before Arevalo, and you could get a bus then. We thought, well, it's a bit pointless walking all the way to Arevalo now. We're going to get the bus back. So, you know, why, why wear your legs out when you're heading back to Madrid? So we waited for the bus at the village before Arevalo and got to Arevalo and then, I went and bought the tickets back to Madrid for both of us and then for him to go to Valencia. And then it was the wind down. I didn't have any problem getting accommodation in Madrid. But when I got there, got to the hotel, I said oh, I wanted to go and get a drink or something. And he said they were supposed to close on the Saturday morning, I think, or Madrid. But he said, oh, the bars are closed and the restaurants are closed, but there's a little shop next door. So I went and got supplies there got myself a bottle of wine and they're all corks in Spain so I had to buy an opener as well and then um, just hold myself up in the room and I had enough for breakfast and so in the morning I thought well I'll get a coffee when I get to the airport 
I got a taxi to the airport and even McDonald's was cordoned off. You know, like I just had to get a plastic bottle of cafe latte, whatever it is, just cold until you got through the immigration thing and then you could buy a little bottle. Things were limited, but at least you could get something through there. Yeah, but um, that was it. So what I'm wondering about is how are you emotionally processing the sudden ending of your Camino? Because you, you didn't even have time really to anticipate it. Despite the fact that you knew the coronavirus was spreading, this end still hit you suddenly. How did you deal with that, and how are you dealing with that? Disappointed, but I suppose if I was like some people that had been on their first Camino or had saved and saved and every little cent was being watched, I would have been devastated, but I'm not... I'm not a greedy person. I don't have a lot, but I've got enough and I don't live high. And so I can afford to sort of go over and do that holiday. And I thought, well, I've had a Camino for every year or sometimes more than one if there were small Caminos since 2012. And I had to just take it a bit like I had to take the missing out on Italy what is is what is, you know, you just have to take it, don't you? I mean, that's one thing. I've never been a decision maker. I always keep putting off and making, but I was surprised that when you have to, you do. This is great how each time you go on a Camino, you learn something different. Thank you again, Kiernan, from Barcelona, Catalonia, Spain. Could you tell me to start off what your plan was for this, your most recent Camino? First of all, I wanted to begin in Roncesvalles and finish in Muxia. It's funny, but this was going to be my last Camino. It was my third and last. I decided the circle was closed. It's okay. So I'm going to, not to finish in Santiago, but finish in Muxia, which I... I like more than, than Finisterre. Muxia has more meaning for me than Finisterre. So I get to Muxia and then my shell, which has been with me all, all my, my Caminos, I was thinking in um, throw it to the sea. And okay, it's, it's, it plays, so it's okay. It's, it's a good way to finish my Caminos. <laughs> but it's not going to be my, my last one <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Because I, I couldn't finish it, so not next year because it's holy year and I don't like Crowley. So maybe in two years I will walk to, to Bushi at last. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so too. Before we get to the coronavirus and all of the problems that it caused, let's just talk a little bit about this walk. You started in late February, correct? Yeah, the 24th. Yeah, so that's something that relatively few have done. Most people walk spring, summer, fall. So it's a colder time, but more people are thinking about it. Fewer people are walking then. What was it like? How was the weather? How were those first few days of walking? Of my three Caminos, all of them have begun in February. I always walk in February because it's more quiet. You can walk all that eternal ways in La Meseta. And you can see no one behind you, and no one in front of you. It's it's magic. <laughs> it's magic. I, I love the, the feeling. So uh, normally it's colder than summertime, of course. 
but it's closed at first hour in the morning. I mean, you go out from the alberghi at 8 o'clock, and around 9 o'clock, you, you must take out all your sweater, all your <laughs> the hat, because if you are walking, you quickly forget the cold. Mm-hmm. So it's worth it for me. When I walk again, in two years, I hope, I will come back in February, mm. for sure. You meet few people, and all of them are great people. Mm. You, you doesn't meet tourist people or fiesta people, like summertime. <laughs> <laughs> and I prefer wintertime, always, always. I know you didn't get to have the full experience this time, but were there still maybe one or two highlights, special moments from this experience that you'd like to share? Maybe the most important was when I had to take my decision to leave it. It was the worst moment. <laughs> I've been sad for five minutes, just <laughs> just only five minutes. But maybe it was a, the more important moment in, in this Camino. The rest of them are little moments mm-hmm. spread all over the two or three weeks I've been. Like, for instance, as I told you, it was <laughs> going to be my last Camino. So I stopped in all the special places for me. There is a tree just before getting down to Najera, where I used to sit down because I like it. So I palm the tree. Mm-hmm. Bye, buddy. See you. All the stone bridge, in, especially in Puente la Reina, which is a bridge that I love. I sat down that morning on the bridge and I was alone, so I wasn't ashamed. <laughs> and I was talking with him. Okay, I think we're not going to see you each other again, so have a nice life, you know, all that stupid <laughs> things that pilgrims used to do. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was saying goodbye to all the special corners for me, special places. Some trees, some bridges, some. Call me crazy, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, taking leave. Of course, you will be back now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before you started your pilgrimage, had you given much thought at all to the coronavirus? Not especially. I knew some part of North Italy, they were registering already some cases. But, you know, it's it's so far. It doesn't seem to be dangerous, you know. But, of course, everyone was talking about the virus. Everyone, every day, every albergue, every shop, every grocery or every bar was thousands of people living thanks for the Camino. I mean, groceries, bars, so everyone was very, very concerned. But when I really realized that it was getting very, very serious, was in that part of Lyon region, when I decided to stop and come back home. And that moment I, I realized that seeing the news and talking home by phone, it was getting very, very, very <laughs> serious, so I decided to stop there. But during the rest of the days, it, it was not like that sensation of... If I had had the sensation of danger the third day, I come back home the third day. I mean, no problem. The Camino will be there always. You can't take the risk of continue walking. And No, no, no. So it was very quick, the moment that you went from feeling like it was okay to walk to feeling like you needed to go home and stop walking. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Do you know what it was? Like, was there an event? Was there something specific that triggered that change for you? Yeah, uh, when the um, the owner of the albergue, where I was that morning, 
told me that the other two albergues in the village, they were going to close next day because of the virus. I asked him, and you? Maybe I close again. <laughs> I close too because normally town hall is going to say close, close all of them, right? So when he told me that, first thing I thought was, okay, I can continue walking, but I'm going to Ocebreiro today. I go down to Galicia. Galicia has, as you know, probably lots of little villages with no bus, no connections, and it was a bad place to stay alone. <laughs> so I took the decision of uh, traveling to Santiago directly by bus and try to find a way to go home. What was the journey home like for you? For me, it was, of course, easier because I live here. So I took a train from Coruña to Barcelona, a direct train, night train, sleeping in a bed for the first time in one month. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I was more lucky than people from abroad, of course. How are things in Barcelona now? Very quiet. I, I'm not living in Barcelona. I live in a little village uh, about 20 kilometers from Barcelona. So okay. here uh, we always are very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but now more than normal because no cars. Well, down here, you never see a car, maybe twice a day, <laughs> but uh, you can see no cars. We can go out to buy groceries or bread or even tobacco. S strange thing, but, <laughs> but no, you can't go. The bars, of course, are closed, restaurant closes. Everything is closed, but important things. And of course, you, you can see anyone in the street. It's very strange. More empty than than a Sunday morning. I mean, Sunday morning you always see all desert, and now it's more than that. It's it's a very strange feeling. Are you scared about what's ahead? No, no. Maybe because I don't know any case of people that I know or family or friends. But I think I'm going. I'm being me and my family. We're being so cautious and very careful with all. We all always wear the mask and gloves when we go out to buy the bread or whatever. And well, it's a kind of lottery because you never know, but uh, if you put all the prevention you can, you have more bullets than, than other people. <laughs> so we try to be very careful. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm not scared. No. Be careful. It is a nerve wracking time. And yeah. with those of us in the US, I think it's going to be getting very bad in the days ahead. Mm -hmm. And we have, of course, been reading a lot about how difficult Italy is and then Spain as the other mm -hmm. country that seems to be in a very difficult position right now. And I think the worst is coming yet because, as they say, the curve, this is not arrived yet. So today we had casualties, so dead people, about more than 2,000 this morning and it's about 300 a day yesterday were 700 in one day it's not not scary but worrying yeah <laughs> most of, of the people are very old people over 80 years old so I'm not there yet <laughs> but uh, you know you think about it uh, I don't have parents but my father and my mother-in-law live there here I go every day to buy food from for them to go to the pharmacy for them, because we don't want them to go out. It's old people is the most worrying thing at the moment. I think a lot of us are 
trying to manage this uh, uncertainty as best we can and looking for some things to brighten our day and make us feel better. Mm. And certainly for me, one thing that brought a smile to my face was reading your post on the Camino (laughs) Forum, um, the one you titled My Corona Camino 2020, um, (laughs) which features all of your watercolors from your recent Mm. trip. So maybe to, to wrap up, could you describe just for people who maybe have never thought about bringing art supplies on pilgrimage or having that artistic representation of their experience, how do you go about your watercolors, your art, in documenting your pilgrimage? Lots of people used to write a diary. I saw them every night in the albergue, always writing their thoughts or their feelings, their experience. And I tried my first Camino, but God didn't call me to the way of writing. And <laughs> but I can draw, so I decided to draw my diary instead of writing. And it's very easy. I have this. A thick paper sketchbook, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I, w- I take this, a little watercolor box. It's very small, yeah, hand-sized. Yeah, and this is not heavy, and you don't need a big space to put it on, so it's easy to carry. <laughs> the more difficult thing is, uh, I, I like to draw in the street. If I see a nice church or a nice house, oh, I'm going to draw it. The worst thing is the cold <laughs> in the hands. <laughs> so I decided this year, mm, focus on this kind of comic or my experience with my face and my body walking (laughs) (laughs) everything uh, you see it's it's true i fell down from my punk head i fell (laughs) (laughs) i i was very painful i was everything is real but i tried to why not make a smile when everyone is like uh, what's happening here this contribute to a smile i mean it's it's good to laugh about myself. Well, thank you for that. It is a, a really nice documentation of your experience. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it, and I'm I'm sorry that you didn't get the full pilgrimage experience that you were going for, but I'm glad you got something and that you're home healthy. I have the excuse to, to repeat. <laughs> I, I must finish it. In Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, there's a character named Mike, and he is asked at one point how he went bankrupt. His answer is two ways. Gradually, then suddenly. And that seems to be the story of the coronavirus, both in the big picture and certainly within the realm of the Camino. So many pilgrims could see it could read about it, know that it was out there, in the distance, maybe on the horizon, but still feel like it was fine to walk. And so they'd fly around the world to make it to Spain, they'd travel to the starting point, and they'd walk. And they'd walk for multiple days, still cognizant of the headlines out there, even aware, eventually, of cases breaking out in Spain, but still thinking it was fine to walk, and almost everyone else around them thinking it was fine to walk. And so they kept going and going, 
until suddenly it was no longer fine to walk anymore. And the realization seemed to strike everyone simultaneously like a bolt of lightning. Albergue owners, bar operators, and of course the pilgrims themselves, many of whom then had to rush to figure out how to make it home, as all kinds of misinformation flared up about travel bans and restrictions on flights. (laughs) There was just fear and anxiety all over the place. And in these stories, that's one of the things that stands out, is how consistently, from person to person, they suddenly realized they needed to go home and then moved into just an all-out sprint to make it back to Madrid, onto a plane or onto a train, and home as fast as humanly possible. And in the wake of it, I think there's a lot of guilt that accompanies those people. Because on one hand, perhaps they do feel a sense of loss. But on the other, they're self-aware enough. And this is true for me as well as I think about my trans-US walk. Self-aware enough to recognize that the loss of a walk does not compare to the loss of a life, and it would be foolish to equate them. But it's also valid to still feel a sense of loss without transforming it into a case of moral equivalency. And I hope that all of the people in this episode and throughout the pilgrimage world who have had to put a walk on hold can face that loss and recognize the validity of it, the pain that comes with losing something that was important. You know, every person interviewed in this episode has experience walking a pilgrimage. They've done it before, in some cases, multiple times. They have some perspective here. They have those earlier experiences to fall back on. I send my best wishes to the first-time pilgrims out there, the ones who have been looking forward to this for years, maybe who have been diligently saving, preparing for this singular opportunity, who have lost it as well. I hope that you have another chance. I hope that whether it's next year or multiple years down the road, that that opportunity comes for you. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry that you've missed out on it now and feel no guilt in recognizing that loss, even while also acknowledging that if you can still be home and safe and your family is safe through all of this, that is ultimately the most important thing. I know a lot of people out there are worried about their friends in Spain and their favorite places in Spain, the albergues that they've stayed before, the restaurants that they've eaten at, the shops that they have frequented, and they're wondering what to do. And there's not a great answer, right? There's not a GoFundMe out there for every albergue, and even if there were, that would get complicated really fast. My best suggestion to everyone, if you're looking for a way to spread a little bit of good without having to rely on money to do it, is get out there and review. Review the albergues that you love on Grands, on Google, on Booking.com. Review the books written by pilgrims, the guidebooks, not just mine, 
all of them, because the guidebook companies out there are struggling right now. The publishing industry has basically been put on hold. Go write reviews for them on Amazon.com, on Ivar's shop in the Camino Forum. If you have some funds, go buy something that's pilgrimage-related to help keep those businesses afloat for a little bit longer. Keep in mind, if you buy a book through the Camino Forum, you get your credential mailed with it, all in one. It's convenient. It's so easy. So sure, buying a book, buying something pilgrimage-related, that costs a little bit of money. But the reviews cost nothing, and people rely on those increasingly to make their choices. So if there are places that you love, resources you love out there, restaurants that you love, go sing their praises online and help ensure that when we get to the other side of this and people are walking again, that they'll go to those, they'll support those places, and they'll help to keep them operational for the years to come and the pilgrims to come. That's all for this episode. Thank you to Ivar and his Camino Forum for joining me and for all of the work that he does in service to pilgrims. Again, check out his, the forum and also his, his shop on there and, and see what he has available. It's a really convenient, quality service. And thanks to the four pilgrims who spoke with me for this episode. Oz Annie and Annie Santiago and Rob and Kieran about their experiences talking about something difficult but doing it so often with perspective and humor. I really recommend that you check out Kieran's sketches on his My Corona Camino 2020 thread in the Camino Forum. They'll brighten your day a little bit. You can find the Camino Podcast on all the typical places. iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. And I'll have links to the forum and the threads mentioned on DaveWinson.com. Thanks as always for listening. Stay safe and healthy, everybody. And I look forward to all of us being back on the trail sometime soon.